when I'm traveling, my mind is on fire. I have so many ideas, so much energy. There is a massive link between travel and intellectual development. You have landed on the one and only podcast where you'll learn about the people and places that inspire life-changing travel. This is Dramatic Travels. Aaron Schlein here, and you have landed on episode number 16 of the Dramatic Travels podcast. This week on Dramatic Travels, we are going to dive into a topic that I've been wanting to cover for a long time, and that is the direct impact of travel on intellectual development. I am not an expert in intellectual development, which is why I invited this week's guest, Dan Luzonis, on the show. Dan is a child acceleration specialist and homeschooling coach. Dan lives in New York City, and he is the creator of of the 10X Homeschool Course and the Einstein Blueprint, which you can find at EinsteinBlueprint.com. Dan shared a ton of real-world advice about the educational value of travel, as well as the many educational and practical advantages of homeschooling. It really was a fascinating conversation. You're, you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, we also have a first on this episode of Dramatic Travels. My chat with Dan ran well over an hour, so I'm splitting this episode into not two, but three parts. That's right, my friend, three-part episode here. If you're listening to this the day it goes live and you don't want to wait until tomorrow to get to part two and part three, just head over to DramaticTravels.com slash 016, and all three parts of this episode are right there waiting for you to enjoy right now. And of course, all the show notes for this episode, the links, the resources, the timestamps, they're all right there too at dramatictravels.com slash 016. All right, my friend, off we go. Here's my chat with Dan Luzonis. Enjoy. Dramatic Travels family, I am super excited to introduce you to today's featured guest, Mr. Dan Luzonis. Dan, it is time to dive into some travel drama. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Dan is a child acceleration specialist and homeschooling coach from New York City. Dan is the creator of the 10X homeschool course and the Einstein Blueprint, both of which can be found at EinsteinBlueprint.com. Dan, my friend, that's your official bio. Take a minute, expand on your personal, your business life, and just tell us about your world. Oh, in a minute? <laughs> I don't Take know if I can do it. In, I don't know if I can do it in a minute, but I've been pretty much uh, locked into the northeast part of the United States. I've lived between, well, I grew up in Massachusetts, went to school in Philly, stayed there for a year, I'm sorry, 10 years, and bounced around into New York City and Long Island a lot. So I've pretty much been up and down Philly to Boston quarter my whole life. And uh, yeah, like everybody else, I started out a career doing one thing and then it morphs into something else. And then in the middle of that, you have that big transformational thing where you get married and have kids. <laughs> so that's uh, that's the overview, the 10,000 foot view of, of where I uh, came from and where I live right now. And we'll have to get more details in a minute. Well, certainly. And travel has been has been a clear part of your life. And that's that's the real reason I think why you and I connected in the first place. But you've got so many other interesting things going on and interesting uh, ideas uh, about raising kids and travel being a part of that. So we're going to get into a ton of fun stuff today. I'm, I'm really excited about uh, about our chat here. 
So let's start with you. You you touched on it a little bit, some of sort of the the geography of your upbringing, but I'd like to go back to your childhood, go back as far as you can and just engage those emotional memories and tell us about traveling as a kid. All right, traveling as a kid, this will be pretty quick because we didn't travel as a kid. We were working class and it was the 80s, so we didn't have a lot of money. And we also lived in New England. And New England is a curious place in that people really don't move. They consider travel to be going from Massachusetts to the beach in New Hampshire <laughs> or down to, I don't know, the camping in Rhode Island. So people in New England actually do not travel very much. And it's a, it's a very parochial place. Uh, it was back then, and it is still now in many, many ways. And uh, so I didn't travel much. But what traveling for me was, was going into Boston. It was 40 miles from uh, the city I grew up in, in Worcester. And Boston, to me, was like the Emerald City of the Wizard of Oz. You know, I mean, it, whatever the big city is near a child when they grow up, it always has an aura to it. It always has uh, a lot of energy and a lot of excitement. And uh, really going into Boston was travel for me. I think I was just talking to my son the other day, and um, he's 13 years old, and he's been to you know many, many countries, 14 countries, and he's been on, I don't know, maybe close to 40 round trip. Um, he's had about 40 round trip um, you know, air trips. And I think when, I'm, when I was 13, I had only had one my entire life. And so <laughs> my kids are traveling a lot more than me. And because I didn't grow up with travel, it was something that I was not very open to or even aware of um, for many, many years. It wasn't until, well, oh boy, the last 10 years or so that I discovered travel. So my, my travel uh, genesis story started out very slowly, <laughs> like probably a lot of New Englanders. Why do you think that is? Well, that the New Englanders don't travel that much. What's the story there? Well, travel's gotten cheaper. So I think they travel more now than ever. Uh, and like I said, we were working class. My mother was clipping coupons and the thermostat was when we, when we, when she put the heat on, she put it up to 60 degrees and, uh, we didn't have an air conditioner in the summer. So we didn't have a lot of money, a lot of disposable income. And I think that, uh, you know, it, well, this isn't just new England, but people get trapped into their routines and they, they end up going on vacation with the same you know, other families or their cousins or whatever. And they start uh, going to this campground or this beach for this week. And that's their week for the, for the summer. And they just do it every year. And uh, looking back, there were definitely families and kids that I knew who, you know, who's, you know, families who thought outside the box. But as you know, most people think inside the box and they don't, you know, they don't break their routines. I mean, routines are, you know, crutches and inertia is, is a very big thing. Habits and inertia, they're, they're very, very big things um, in the way people go through their lives. And so I, I think, I don't think there's anything peculiar about um, Boston or New England other than that. Just that's how it is. So when did you break out of that box? Uh, when did you when did you start looking beyond the beach and why? Well, it, it was a, it was a gradual, gradual process. Uh, I went to college in Philadelphia, and that was eye opening. That was almost like I traveled to another another planet. And as I, you know, moved to Philadelphia and came into contact with people from other states, and um, you know, I, that's when I started to travel. But as you know, it's like, you know, y y you could still only have a, a you know a a toe in the water. Um, and I think that it would be how I describe my travel experience from say 18 to almost 40, quite honestly. You know, I did the, uh, let's go to New York city. Let's go to, um, Las Vegas. Let's go to Key West. And at this point in my, um, 
<laughs> with my graduated understanding of travel and appreciation for travel, I don't, I don't consider that to be travel. You know, weekends here and there at popular tourist places. I mean, that, that's to me, those people still haven't traveled. And so it wasn't until I was, like I said, almost 40 years old when we, you know, when I fell in love with travel, when I experienced travel at a much higher level and fell in love with it and all, and all came back to a book that I read. And I'll give you that book right now because I, I've been giving it to people for years. It's called The New Global Student, uh, written by Maya Frost. And Maya lived on the West Coast, I want to say Oregon or Washington State, and she had these three teenage girls. And she was looking at their life and she's saying, you know what, you know, going to the local high school, going to prom, all these so-called rites of passage for her girls, that there was something missing. And she just, she had this itch and she had this, this kind of nagging suspicion that they needed to experience the world. And she did something which was difficult for me to wrap my mind around. As a parent, she she took and as a homeschooling parent, she she sent her kids to almost like third world countries on like student exchange um, programs where they didn't even know the language. I can't even remember the countries they went to, but I definitely remember what she did. And she just took her girls and threw them out of their comfort zone. And the reason that she did it was because she wanted to accelerate uh, their maturity, accelerate, you know, she wanted to amplify their curiosity, their knowledge, all sorts of things. She wanted to put their learning on steroids. And um, that's exactly what happened. And they went one place, they came back, they went another and another and another. And they basically just blew up this this whole uh, suburban paradigm or this assumption that you just stay home and you just put your kids to high school, you know, on the high school track. And when they go to college, then maybe, I don't know, maybe you and your husband will do something. They incorporated travel into their education. I mean, they made travel a core component of their education. Education. I mean, it really, it really became their education. And so that book, while I was reading it, I actually had a, a lot of trouble with it because as a homeschooling parent, uh, I looked to control almost all the inputs in my kid's life. I did not want to put them and send them to some obscure part of Mexico and put them in a public school. Like I, w- I don't send my kids to public schools in America. I was, wasn't going to do it in Vietnam or wherever else she was sending her kids. And so I really struggled wrapping my mind around uh, the, you know, the idea of what she did. But you know, this is like one of the things you have to do when you want to grow intellectually is you have to you have to like stay with some very uncomfortable facts and ideas. And at some point, I wrapped my mind around what she did, and I thought or I realized that just moving from Massachusetts to Philadelphia, which is I don't even know three hundred miles, just moving there, I reflected upon how much that expanded uh, my whole life in in every single every single facet of my whole life. Just moving a little bit south within the same country where we speak English, and then I thought how you know moving to New York City uh, in two thousand and one and, and all these little moves that I did, and and how it just continued to broaden, uh, you know, my perspective and my energy, my zest for life. And I realized that if moving just you know laterally, really. Uh, within the northeast of the United States, and I, I did live in North Carolina for a little bit too. If if that had such a good effect, well, then maybe I should go overseas. And so the wheel started spinning in my head, and I'll never forget, you know, going into my you know my bedroom and, and telling my wife about this book I was reading because my wife is real busy with work and usually I read a book and I give her the executive summary, uh, sort of like uh, if she purchased the executive summary. So I was telling her all about the book and what it was doing, how it was messing with my mind. And she said, you know, there's this position over in London that's available in her division. She said, maybe I should throw my name in the hat for it. And, uh, you know, 
literally it was a sober, like kind of quiet moment. And I said, yeah, you probably should. And what made this difficult was that we had just gotten settled on Long Island, New York. We had just literally had been about three years and it, and it always takes a little while to get acclimated to a new place. We had moved down from Boston and uh, we had a lot of moves up and down. I want to give you them all. You'd get confused, but we just moved down to Bo- from Boston and we just got settled. We just had our hairdresser, our mechanic. We just started getting a social network going. We just did some work on our house. And now there was this hand grenade thrown into our plans where we, you know, maybe we would move overseas. And uh, it was very unsettling, very uncomfortable. And uh, my wife threw her name in the, in the hat for this job and they jumped all over it. And so next thing you know, we were moving to London for you know more than a year and it was going to be an all expenses uh, paid trip. And so it wasn't until we went to London in 2014 that uh, I think I really, uh, what well, I think, I know I, I didn't experience real travel until we moved to London, or at least I didn't experience, you know, like a higher level of travel uh, beyond just, again, vacationing in Key West and the Virgin Islands and stuff like that. When we went to London, we went there with the idea that we would use it as a launch pad to see Europe. And so just like Maya Frost in her book, we went over there with the express purpose or mission of seeing as much of Europe as we could while we were over there. And so we ended up in very successful on that front. And we visited about 11 countries uh, over the course of 15 months with our kids. So, I mean, our kids visited probably 100 museums and they saw Liverpool and they saw Amsterdam and they saw uh, Paris and Swiss Alps and um, Milan and uh, where else did we go? Scotland, Madrid. We went so many places. We went to Thailand, went to Istanbul. We just, we used it as a launch pad. We invested our money because it costs money to go places. And we said, you know what? This is worth it. And every single month we were bound for somewhere new. And you know how it is when you have a trip, the next within a month, you're doing research, you're getting all geeked up and excited about it. Like looking forward to the trip and planning it can be almost as exciting as going sometimes. And so that was what we did for, I would say, about 15 months. And it was like literally, you know, wh- where are we going next month was just always, you know, dominating our, you know, our subconscious. And when, when, when you live like that and then you come back to New York, which is what we did, we still had that travel bug. And so we're still trying to go as many places as we can, as often as we can. And uh, there's no going back. Once you're bit by that travel bug, I don't think that there's a a cure for it. (laughs) No, there's not. Uh, The travel bug will go dormant occasionally, but it never dies. It always comes back. And Daniel, I love a word that you used. Actually, I love several words that you use over the course of that story. The most recent one was you, you didn't say that you paid for a trip or you took a trip, you said you invested. And I think that's such a strong concept really to grasp is that you saw the value and you saw the potential return on that investment that you were willing to to put up your hard-earned money to to take these trips, to have these experiences because you knew the, the educational value, you knew just the overall just the overall value that it was going to add to your life and to the lives of your children and continual return. It just exponentially just, just builds on itself year after year and it gets you excited. It gets you, it primes the pump for that next trip, that next big experience, whatever it happens to be. You also said you talked about amplifying and just amplifying um, just who you are, amplifying your personality and your, your learning and your evolution as a human being. And I'm a huge believer that travel is it's one of the quickest, if not the quickest way to, to just amplify and just accelerate your personal evolution. So I think you're just right on with some of those, several of those points. 
Well, I was just away of maybe three places in the last uh, couple of weeks. Where was I? I was in Orlando. I was in Mexico City and I was somewhere else. I can't even remember where I was. But um, when I when I'm traveling, my mind is on fire. I have so many ideas, so many business ideas, so much energy. And um, it, it, it happens almost every single time. And, and let me give you an example. Um, well, what I'm trying to say is that there is... I believe, I know, a massive link between travel and intellectual development. There is this guy, his name is Eric Domain, and he was raised by a single father, and his single father was an itinerant glassblower. Uh, so itinerant, he just traveled all over the world, and he, he toted his son, Eric, uh, with him. And the dad had actually no formal education, but Eric ended up becoming an ultra math genius somehow with no school, with no parent who is you know, versed or fluent in math. Eric became the youngest uh, professor ever at MIT. I think he was 19 years old and they made him a full, full on professor. And I attribute that. I attribute his intellectual growth to uh, whenever you have someone who's you know an outlier, you have to look at the inputs that were in their lives. Like what could have possibly paused it, uh, caused it? Well, he, he was traveling constantly and constantly and constantly. And so to me, that has just a massive effect on, um, on brain development. Let me give you one other example. Uh, John Quincy Adams, the, I guess he was the sixth, sixth president of the United States. He was a young child during wartime and he was traveling all over Europe and he was traveling to Russia and he was immersed in foreign uh, speaking, you know, he was in France. He was all over Europe doing all these things with all these adults and his brain must have just been on fire uh, as a kid. And I'm sure that's what made him so one of the factors that made him so erudite and eventually uh, the sixth president of the United States. So, I mean, if you look at my my stuff, my Einstein blueprint, uh, I consider moving and traveling to be core components of the ideal education. In other words, you know, when I meet with parents and I say, what are you doing to hyper-accelerate your kids? And they tell me the school, they tell me the supplemental programs. And I'll say, what about travel? Because if they're not traveling, it's almost like, uh, you know, not, not doing art or not doing math. It, it, it is that important. And who knows, it may even be more important than that stuff. Well, intellectual curiosity for the world is is without question, one of the biggest takeaways I had from travel. And you also just mentioned the idea of being an outlier and then be, getting curious and investigating, okay, what were the inputs that this person had that created or that turned them into the person that they became? And part of the reason I started this podcast in the first place was because I considered myself to be an outlier because I spent so much tra- time traveling with my grandmother as a, as a young, as a kid, I feel like that set me down on a, on a, on a higher level track. And my mission through dramatic travels is to speak to people like yourself and figure out all those different inputs, those different potential inputs and try to recognize some patterns that exist for people who grew up to be exceptional and inspirational travelers and just exceptional people in general. So uh, I think we're, we're kind of sharing a brain on that concept. I, I love that. Uh, I love that you shared that story. I guess social media helps, and you start posting pictures from being in far off exotic places. It can put the idea in someone's head that they uh, they haven't been anywhere or done anything with their life. And you know, whenever I meet someone, and you know, travel is one of these things where you can very easily be one upped. You know, you could say I've been, I've lived in these five cities. You'll meet someone who's lived in eight. Right. I've been to these countries. Someone has been in, you know, five times as many. And um, you know, it's like, uh, but 
I, th- I think the biggest thing for a person, and I don't know who you're, you're speaking to, if, you're, if you want to speak to the person who's never moved, and they should be spoken to. They should see those pictures of you online. They should get the wheels spinning in their own head because that first move, it doesn't matter whether that's a move off the couch into the gym or a move into a new career or like a physical move to go to Europe. That first move is very hard. And I think I I tried to paint a picture of what was going on in, in my mind, in my wife's mind, when we made that decision to disrupt our family and move to London. Some people can make that decision very easily. But I think the vast majority of people, the reason they don't move, the reason they don't travel is out of fear, out of you know, fear of the unknown. And um, yeah, I would say fear of the unknown and inertia. Those are, those are big, massive hurdles between people and their first travel and also between somebody or in front of somebody like me who's like, well, what's the next level of travel? You know, because we could quit our jobs here. We could go to Asia for five years. And um I'm afraid to do it, quite honestly. I'm literally afraid to do it. And uh, as, as much as I know that would benefit my family, my kids, my relationship with my wife, there's still you know, a fear factor. I mean, Elon Musk is not even afraid to go to Mars, <laughs> but um, you know, I'm afraid to, uh, to push the travel a little bit further, and I, and I have to wrestle with these issues myself. So there is no, there is no graduation from travel. It, uh, there are always um, you know, new levels to reach and uh, new experiences to be had. So tell me about that wrestling match. What's going on in your head right now? As far as uh, considering relocating to Asia, what's the story? Well, I live in Manhattan right now. We just moved here six months ago. We made another move. So our latest move was only 25 miles, but it was from a 3,500 square foot house into a 1,200 extremely expensive, 1,200 square foot, extremely expensive apartment in Manhattan. And we're right next to the World Trade Center, and I absolutely love it here. I mean, I've always wanted to live in Manhattan. Uh, It has, in the last six months, you know, I've been thanking God every day. It it has been absolutely pure bliss. And uh, I mean, that would be a whole, I mean, I could do a whole podcast on what I like about Manhattan. But, you know, know, in order to go to Asia, I would have to leave what I consider right now to be pure bliss. So there, there usually has to be you know, a little bit of pain in where you are, a little bit of a nagging, you know, it, it can't be just, I'm sure it would be great to live in, in, um, wherever, Africa, South Africa or Thailand or whatever. It has to also be, it also has to start with some displeasure with your current situation. And in my current situation right now, I tell people that I'm going to die here because I love it so much. <laughs> well, if you look at the, your opportunity in comparison to what you have, not to say that, you know, the new, the new car smell of, of Manhattan is going to last forever, but there could be that point someday where it becomes commonplace. I hope it never happens to you, but it's, but it's certainly possible. And you'll cross that bridge when you come to it. And it sounds like you've, you have, you've kind of created these systems within your own head, at least for, for decision-making and you have the freedom to change your mind. Should you, should you choose to, which is fantastic. Well, I'm in a better place to cross that bridge, um, than I ever would be if I hadn't moved and traveled uh, as much as I have already. And so um, I'm not afraid to do it now like I used to be. And you know what? You can go over and you can always come back. Definitely. <laughs> you can, you can, you can uh, our, one of our first moves, well, our first move outside of the Northeast, my wife was pregnant and we were living in a 500 square foot walk-up uh, railroad apartment in Manhattan, in, in Brooklyn, excuse me. And railroad apartment is like a bowling alley and there's, there's no, there's no, <laughs> there's no rooms. And so we were going to have a baby and be at the top of this really sweaty, really loud apartment. And we had the opportunity to move to Charlotte, North Carolina. And we were, we were 
we were scared to move down there. We didn't. The South seemed like a foreign country, and a lot of to a lot of people in the Northeast still, even though they might go to Florida, even though they might go, you know, wherever on a little bit, you know, to New Orleans. The South is still a scary place to live. Flyover states, flyover states, exactly. And um, when we moved down there, I, I, you know, what 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 allowed me to push my us down there was I said, you know what, if we don't like it, we can just move back. You know, this is something that people forget. They always feel like, you know, if they leave, that there's going to be some loss. And, um, you know, one of the reasons that I am so, I wouldn't say good, but so uh, well-developed in making these decisions is because I, I coach other people how to do them. My job uh, as a child acceleration specialist is I'm continually pushing parents to think outside the box, to push themselves beyond their comfort zones. And when I produced the Einstein Blueprint, which is, you know, 426 page, you know, treatise or a, a small B Bible on how to hyperaccelerate your kids, as I'm writing it out, you know, my brain, the wheels in my brain are in motion as well. And it's like, you know, I have move, travel, move, travel. It's like, when's my next move? Like, or what, what, what thing am I actually, uh, procrastinating on or what have I not incorporated? What do my kids not have enough of? It's interesting. Yesterday I was speaking to a gentleman at the coffee shop and he has kids a little younger than mine. And we talked about travel and education, all these things. He said to me, he said, how many languages do your kids speak? And that's a very powerful question because if you believe that, uh, you know, your kids should not be, you know, they should be at least bi or trilingual uh, and, you know, they're 10, 11 years old and they haven't learned another language. Well, that's kind of the reminder. Hey, get on this, get on this right now, you know, because um, the window of opportunity uh, for these things, you know, it slams shut quite honestly, you know, people get busy and when your kids are young, that's when you want them to have these travel experiences. You don't want them to go to Paris when they're 65 and retired, you want them to go when they're young. And you don't want them to try to learn Spanish or Italian when they're 50. You want them to grow up with having that in their intellectual arsenal. Yeah, huge, huge, huge takeaway from that. That idea that you know, somehow there's this reward waiting for you on the other side of retirement that you may or may not even see. There's so many people that are just stuck in that limiting belief and they're they're okay with being stuck in it, which part of me, I wrestle with that because on one hand, it's like, all right, you know, God bless you. You're happy. If this, you know, if you're living in the world, the happiness that you created for yourself, who am I to say that you're doing it wrong? But it's people like me and then people that are on the fence or people who just need that little push or just that one example or that one social media post, like you mentioned earlier, that's just going to light that spark that's just waiting to, waiting to ignite. And that's what, sounds like you're here for. That's definitely what I'm here for. And the world needs more people like you, Daniel. You're doing fantastic work. And I really appreciate all your insights on this on this topic. It's been fantastic. Let's let's shift because you, you breezed over it a couple times, but let's dig deep into homeschooling. You are clearly a homeschool advocate. Take me back to the to the beginning of that journey for you and let's talk about it. Well, I never heard the term homeschooling until I was 30 years old. I never even heard the term. I didn't have any frame of reference. I didn't know anyone who was homeschooled. And um, to me, I had that caricature in my head when I first read it, homeschool, that's mom or dad in the kitchen with a makeshift chalkboard uh, recreating school at home. So I, I had no idea what it was, even though I have an Ivy League education and nominally I'm well-educated, uh, which is you know a whole garbage uh, thing to begin with, but <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. And when my son was young, I started doing some workbooks with him. And so I, I didn't start out 
uh, with some discrete decision that I was going to homeschool my kids. It, there's always a process, there's a long process. And then there's a the process of your spouse deciding as well. And so when he was three and a half, or th- he was a little older than three and a half, I tell him he was actually three and five eighths because I went back and looked at the dates and everything. And we started doing these Kumon workbooks. And Kumon workbooks are these, you know, they, they're from Japan. They're just basic $7 workbooks that you can get at Barnes and Noble or Walmart or on Amazon, of course. And literally, I started teaching him how to count and how to write his numbers and how to write his letters. And then we're adding one and one and two and two and we're writing words. And we literally just went through this whole sequence of workbooks because that's what book publishers do. They don't, they don't just make one workbook. They make, they make 50 of them or whatever. And, uh, what happened was my son really took off. You know, he, you could see the progress as he was, I wouldn't say crushing these workbooks, but, you know, doing diligent work every day for one to three hours, or I, I think it was probably one to three hours uh, over a period of a year and a half. Uh, we went from counting uh, right up to the cusp of algebra. So when he was five, 18 months after we started, he was five and one eighth years old. Uh, I started doing algebra with him. And so at that point, I could see that I could never put him in a school because the local kindergarten, uh, they said that their goal, you know, they teach the kids numbers one to 10 and they want their kids at the end of a year to know how to not write a book, not read a book, not write a book, but just know how to hold a book. That was their goal, our local kindergarten, um, their end of the year goal. And so my son was nine months away from starting that ambitious kindergarten track, and he was already doing algebra. And so I, I knew he wasn't going to go backwards. And I, it was very clear to me at that point that he could never go to school. And this is like one of these good problems, like you know having to pay a lot in taxes because you made a hundred million dollars. Like this is this right. is a good problem. But some people see it actually oppositely. Uh, when I was a hundred percent certain that he would never set foot in school, my wife was, you know, 10 or 15% certain she hadn't had time to wrap her mind around it. She wasn't as close to the process. Uh, there was also that fear of, and I still tease her about this to this day. She said, you know, I don't want my kids to grow up too weird. And, um, you know, now I tease her about it because, you know, we want our kids to be as weird as humanly possible. We want when people meet them to say, holy crap, about every single thing that they do. And um, so, <laughs> you know, that was one of these, uh, again, it was a caricature. You know, what about socialization? What about the chalkboard at home? You know, all this stuff. How are you going to teach physics? You know, all these things. It's almost like when you, you meet a vegetarian and you say, well, how do you get protein? And it's like to the vegetarian, it's like the dumbest question in the world. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, you know, the obvious question they have to answer 10 times a day. Um so it was a process that we fell into it. And at first, it, homeschooling for us was all about academic acceleration. It wasn't about anything else. It was about, wow, you know, my kid's so smart or so advanced, we can't put him in school. But once, once that Pandora's box was open, and once I started meeting other homeschoolers, especially some that said they were spending three months in Italy or, or doing this or doing that, all these crazy things, once you're liberated from the attendance obligations and the homework obligations of a school, and once you can create your own curriculum, then you know the whole world opens up to you. And so we started with academic acceleration. Then we said, you know what? We want our kids to be you know, morally grounded. My wife and I, uh, we were always Catholic, but we became more we became, uh, I would say, more pious as we had kids. I think a lot of people do this, no matter what their faith is. We want to raise morally, um, morally grounded kids. Uh, we branched out from 
traditional academics and we started spending a lot of time on the piano and chess, competitive chess tournaments. Both my kids have played in and won uh, some very competitive chess tournaments. And that was kind of the next stage of it. And then it was like, hey, you know what? We can travel. Oh, I do have another another good thing to throw out here for you. One question real quick, though. I can hear my audience screaming this question. Did your son ever learn how to hold a book? (laughs) (laughs) He He can read a thousand pages a day. Okay, so, so holding the book's not a problem. The kindergarten is the off the hook. <laughs> in fact, in fact, he's just about to publish. He's thirteen years old. He's just about to publish a book uh, titled "Kid Trillionaire: How a Little Kid Can Make uh, a Big Fortune." So he's 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 well beyond that. Kid Trillionaire even has a great subtitle. I love it. Put me on the pre-order list for that. We'll do that. I'll, I'll give you a link for the show. But uh, we're in Massachusetts, and I don't know how familiar you are with Massachusetts, but it, it's just, it's Arctic up there. It's freezing cold, and I got it in my head, you know, while we were early on in this homeschooling journey, that we don't have to be there in the winter time. You know, why don't we just go to Florida like all these old people go? <laughs> well, they call them snowbirds, right? And why we saw? I mean, Massachusetts, it is cold. You know, you, you don't want your butt to hit the toilet seat. Like <laughs> you still wince. You don't want to get out of the shower. You don't want to get out from under the covers. It doesn't even matter if you got your heat on. It's it's cold. And so I, I got the idea that we would spend some time in Florida in the wintertime. And I didn't know anybody who was doing this. Definitely nobody in my social network because everyone had kids in school. And so I went online and I found a condo for $2,300 in Naples, Florida in January. And we just loaded up the car and drove down and uh, spent a month in Naples for $2,300. And it was unbelievable. And it was unbelievable and transformational on so many levels. This was the first of maybe six years that we went down for you know five weeks or so in the winter. Uh, it takes the bite out of the winter. When, when you can kill January or February and you come back and it's already starting to get lighter out earlier and it's starting to warm up, uh, I mean, it, it just takes the edge off the winter. It also... My kids for three years never so much as caught a cold. They never caught, you know, the ear infection or the sniffles or the flu or anything. And the reason they didn't is because we were down, you know, in Florida. They were out at the park and the beach every day and they weren't locked in a school. Everybody who has kids in preschool can tell you that, you know, the kids get sick a lot. There's a lot of germs flying around. And to have little kids and have them sick, it's like one of the most torturous experiences, especially for a new parent, especially when it goes from one kid, then they get better, then the other kid gets sick, and then it goes to mom or dad. And for three years, my kids didn't even so much as catch a sniffle. And I attribute that to us being outside and taking, again, that bite out of the winter. So we started doing that. uh, And that was, you know, one of the privileges of homeschooling. You can do this. If your kids aren't tied to a school, so long as you can figure out work uh, remotely, which my wife and I figured out um, in part, uh, you know, for five weeks or so, you know, you can go to Florida. And as, you know, I got deeper into the homeschooling world, I found out that there are other families that do this as well. And they, they might not just go to Florida, they might travel in the winter, whatever, but they take full advantage of their homeschooling uh, liberty. And so my, my question to a lot of people, and this is, this, it doesn't just apply to this, well, I'm going to talk about ultra rich people, but it doesn't just apply to them. It applies to anybody because I believe anybody can afford to do this stuff. Anybody can afford to, to homeschool, to travel the world as long. If you have a, if there's a will, there's definitely a way you will muster your resourcefulness. But I've worked with some clients and who have millions upon millions of dollars and um, they have property all around the world and even private jets. And their kids go to school 
And so they have to be home on Sunday night. So there are two six-year-olds, there are two six-year-old kids. In this one case, it's in that's top of mind for me right now. And this guy had three private jets and property in Europe and across America, and he had to be home Sunday night so that they could go to school. And I say, hey, buddy, pull your kids out of school so that you can travel. What's the point of having private jets and property all over the world and all this money if you can't even enjoy it? Pull your kids out of school. And then, of course, you know, I, I help coach them through that process because there are even uh, billionaires who are afraid to pull their kids out of school. There's this massive fear uh, of the unknown. Again, limiting beliefs just because someone's successful in one area, that doesn't mean that they're successful or fearless in other areas. So, you know, our, our homeschooling journey went from academic acceleration to a, a broader curriculum of piano and in chess and, and my daughter now I joke about her electronic devices she has about four instruments in her room those are her electronic devices the bass the electric guitar the keyboard and piano and all this stuff and, and then it brought into it brought in also to travel and now the big focus in our homeschool is entrepreneurship uh, my kids they work a lot now and of course they also uh, travel as well if I can give one word of encouragement to, to people with young kids is that, you know, I want to tell them that I bring my kids with me when I work. Well, I'll go to clients. My kids will come with me. We'll go on work trips. My wife had a work trip in California a few weeks ago. We bring our kids. You can, you can bring your kids with you. And I know when they're young, when they're two, three, four, and five, it doesn't seem possible. But they're going to be eight, nine, 10, 12 before you know it. And uh, you, can, you can hire babysitters in hotel rooms if you have to work for a little bit. There's so many ways that you can, uh, that you can make travel work uh, when you have young kids. And again, I think we covered it a lot, but it, it's, it's important. You know, it's, uh, even if they're going to cry on the plane, uh, even if their sleep schedule is going to be disrupted, uh, this stuff is going to change the trajectory. You know, the new experiences, the travel, it, it's, it broadens their mind like nothing else. It really does. Well, so much of what you just described, I mean, you hit, a, you hit a lot of points there, but the one sort of commonality between all of them is how s- relatively simple of a concept they are. Like, I'll take example, you're, you're spending five weeks in the winter in Florida. That, that's not a, a world-changing concept. It's very simple, but it's not one that very, that very many people take advantage of. And because you've adopted this outside the box way of thinking, you can take this simple idea, put it in place, and then you see obviously see the very clear benefits to you and your family. And that it's that outside of the box thinking that you're demonstrating, and that that I want to amplify through this podcast to show people what's possible, whether it's homeschooling or whether it's traveling. These things can be done, breaking down those barriers. Erasing those limiting beliefs, giving people the tools and the resources to live the life, the inspiring life that they want to live with their families. All right, my friend, I hope you enjoyed this part one of my chat with Dan Luzonis. If you are listening to this the day it goes live and you want to dive straight into part two, just head to DramaticTravels.com slash 016. That's DramaticTravels.com slash 016. Six. And while you're there on DramaticTravels.com, be sure to check out the Dramatic Travels Family Facebook group. Just click the big yellow banner at the top of the page. That'll take you straight to the Dramatic Travels Family Facebook group. We'd love to have you on board. We're having a lot of fun over there. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.